You are listening to History Man, the platform for historians, authors, and museum directors to tell their stories of the American Revolution. On today's episode, we're with Jeff Baggett, author, speaker, parson, and living historian from Cadiz, Kentucky. Did I say that right? Close enough. Close enough. Close enough. Very nice. Welcome, Jeff. Welcome. Thank you very much. Glad to be here. Jeff, before we get started, and uh, we are really looking forward to spending time with you today, Uh, before we get started, we want to give a shout out to a couple of our affiliates. One of them is the southerncampaigns.org website, which specializes in the history of the southern campaigns of the American Revolution, and Long Gone LLC on Facebook that specializes in genealogical research and battlefield interpretations. So, Jeff, you are the author of several books. Uh, among, uh, about the American Revolution. A few, a few. Yeah, uh, working my way through Brothers and Warriors. Uh, it's a fascinating book. You've done a lot of research uh, in preparation for writing that book, I can tell. We were talking earlier about even just the the currency species during the American Revolution, especially in the backcountry where, uh, you know, any form of currency was used that they, that they found uh, from barter to... Spanish gold to, and silver to to the British French coins, French even. coins, mm-hmm. a little bit of everything, and right. even pieces of those coins. Pieces, indeed. And uh, so that was that was a pretty fascinating nuance of of that book that I found okay. uh, in the in the course of that. So tell us a little bit about these books. Uh, well, you mentioned brothers and warriors. That's that's kind of my my baby. That was the. Uh, you know, I, I'd written stuff. I, I probably started 20 different things over the years and never finished anything. And then I sat down one winter and uh, wrote that uh, wrote that entire book in just a couple months, actually, maybe three months. And um, so it's the first thing I ever you know, started and complete. I just fell in love with the characters when I discovered them. Um, but, yeah, Brothers and Warriors, and then I've written five more in that Patriots of the American Revolution series since that point, but that was my first. Well, tell us how our listeners can get a hold of your books. Um, well, I am on Amazon.com for certain, and uh, that that's probably the easiest and best, especially if people have Prime. They can have them in a, a couple of days, but if they just plug in my name, uh, and that's Jeff with a G, G-E-O-F-F, Baggett. Um, they can find my author page and everything's on there. You can get them through other sources. Walmart.com has them. Target. They're all over the place through an extended distribution, but uh, Amazon tends to be the, the well, best having, deal. Having yeah. met you, you are a man of different hats. I have. I wear. I wear lots of hats. You've so worn lots of hats all through yeah, your life. Yeah. And uh, my favorite's that little three-pointed tricorn, though. That's my favorite hat I see, to wear. I yeah. See. yeah. Well, you bring all of that experience and that uh, that history of your own life into into these stories, and uh, it makes for a a great story. So, thank you for sitting down with us and talking well, about it. My pleasure. I'm always eager to talk about my stories. So. Well, give us a little bit of background of the actual history that went into some of these books. Uh, some of these are based on characters of people you've researched in your own life. Right. Uh, that's my first love was. When I got into the history of the period, it was all, it came out of my genealogy. Um, I wanted to become a part of the Sons of the American Revolution. I had kind of had that hunger about me. I had a misunderstanding that it had to be a name ancestor with the same surname, and then I found out it didn't. I thought, well, surely there's one in my tree somewhere, and then I commenced to digging, and through Ancestry.com and 
family documents and all sorts of different things. I finally found my first Patriot ancestor and got into the SAR and oh, I was thrilled as I could be. And then I, but then I was a little bit off and running because it seems that so many people who take part in lineage organizations kind of latch on to a Patriot and all oh, they were served in this unit, whatever, blah, blah, blah. And they know the, the big detail. They know the, the big items, you know, right. the, but they served in this battle or they right, were part of this regiment right. and that sort of thing. But I, I, I started finding through genealogy, I started finding documents, um, that first book, Brothers and Warriors, uh, it's about uh, a fifth great-grandfather of mine named John Hamilton and his brother, older brother James, younger brother William. And as I studied in that genealogy, I found out some things about their father, Hugh Hamilton, that he died in a tragic fall off of a bill, or he died as a result of a fall. And, and I discovered his will, and I actually have I have copies of it here in my, my file that listed everything this man owned and the stuff that he had left to his children. I actually wrote, if, you, if, if you've if you read that, you mentioned you, you're partway into it, and I, I mentioned some of the books that he remembered his father sitting by the fire and reading, and those were all listed by name in his will. That's why I put them oh, into the that book. Is, that's great. So details, you know. And So where did you find the will? Um, it, it's in the North Carolina archives. And so I, wow. yeah, I found it. So I have photocopies and... And so I tried to bring all those, to, even the Fowler gun is listed that that I wrote into the book that I have him on the first scenes, him squirrel hunting with his dad's gun. Um, so I, find, I found these details, and then I discovered that John and James were both listed as patriots with the Daughters of the American Revolution. And so I went to the DAR, and I found stuff about James easily enough. I have his, his pension and, and how... Uh, in the Mecklenburg County militia and how he went off to the battle of Camden. And, uh, you know, I don't want to give too much away to anybody who might read the book, but he was a guest of the British for a while after that, you know? So Uh, let me, let me stop you for just a second on uh, a previous episode. We talked a little bit about these pension records and where to find them. Where did, uh, and I know that southerncampaigns.org has a link to pension records, uh, for the Patriots and that sort of thing. That's not necessarily the only website you need to go to to find these or, or to link onto it. Where did you find the pension records? Well, the Southern Campaign has those transcriptions okay. of the of Southern pensions. Right. Um, I, ha- I have a membership. I, can't, I think it's owned by Ancestry now because Ancestry owns all things genealogical anymore. But fold3.com. Right. right. And so you can actually get to the images of pension records there. And, and the thing is to know how to search cross-references because you can search for a particular individual and if they were an officer a captain of a company you'll find all these other pensions that where people make their declaration served Mm -hmm. in the company of and then you'll find out details about skirmishes and battles in their records that weren't in the you know the primary that that so you have to kind of learn how to glean facts from 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 those, but that's the primary. the The uh, Southern Campaign site is great for being able to find those transcriptions, and really a good launching point to go and find those original documents on right, on Fold right. Three. So I I had James's pension. I knew where he was and all that was going on. But the, my my ancestor John Hamilton just had this mysterious reference of patriotic service and paid for services rendered but it was a dar record and so i thought i'll file my 
my supplemental with SAR and have him recognized by SAR. And they shot it down because they said, well, he was too young. He, he was only 15 years old. How, he could, how could he receive reimbursement for anything at age 15? And uh, so then I so re- when you say they shot it down, who my, shot the it genealogists down? at SAR? The genealogists said initially said this didn't make okay. this didn't compute for them to you know and, and this couldn't couldn't be him and and so I, then it, that just kind of made me mad and then kind of made me want to dig deeper and uh, I wrote to the archives I got all records on John Hamilton of of Mecklenburg Cabarrus County. North Carolina. They they sent me everything. That's you can see this stack. I have all these these payment records. But I found that first one where he was reimbursed, and it was in uh, November 1780. He received seven eighths of one Spanish mill dollar. Okay, so so seven bits for two and a half bushels of corn. And I thought that sounds like the contribution of a 15 year old. Yeah. And I'm wondering why is this kid on a farm by himself how does that even compute but then as i look i just again cross-reference to the pension james was on a prison ship then these boys had been on their own farm before the war okay james had gone off to serve and james didn't come back and 15 year old john my ancestor and little brother william were running this farm how big a farm was it? I have, I'm not certain. I'd have to go back and look at, at the, so at the in records. The, in the book, you're talking about uh, their father died, like you said, right. falling, falling off a house or something. Building like a barn for something. We don't know who. But then her, their mama remarried. Rapidly. Rapidly. Because that just, that's what happened. She had all these kids. She had kids. And she had this farm to take care of. And, right? and I'm not quite certain of all the property rights in rural North Carolina in 1774. Right. Um, but it was, it was kind of difficult on the ladies. Sure. Um, especially with all, but she remarried. So that, all of that was true. All that she remarried. Uh, that, now, now the dynamics that I write into the book, I don't know that they're all true. Those are, cause what I do, I tell everyone, I have all these documents and facts on these. An- when I choose my ancestors that are going to be the characters of my next novel. I see. I use all the facts that I have at hand. And then you create a story. That, that is my skeleton. I call it my skeleton of truth. And then I lay upon it the muscle and fat of my fiction. Well, you know, give so. me the skeleton of truth <laughs> from, this, from these books then. So okay. Give me some of that. Well, um, of course, a lot of that for Brothers and Warriors, it came from, from those records. Now, John, I, did, uh, I was able to prove military service for him because I actually received records from North Carolina where he was reimbursed for militia service. 15-year-old. He would, may have been 16, 17, because he served in 1780, 81, 82, 83. So after the cessation, technically, of conflict, but they were, they were still military, so, you know, the militia was still deployed in, in various mm-hmm. forms. I'm sure it wasn't all quite over, even though Cornwallis had, had surrendered. It was, things were still going on in the back country. There was still the, the Cherokee issue that hadn't been entirely uh, dealt with at the time. So I was able to prove his military service, and so in my book, I'm able. I don't have I don't have exact knowledge over the battles mm-hmm. or skirmishes that he was involved in, but based upon the timeline of payments, I use that as an inference to the things that made the most sense. And so then I had to research those battles, right? And skirmishes. There's one in Mecklenburg County they call the Battle of the Bees, which is all. You may I don't know if you've heard of it or not, but it was on a 
when the British went out on a uh, to, to raid and take supplies. And uh, someone at a particular farm knocked over a beehive. And in the midst of the bees attacking the British soldiers, the local militia opened fire. And then they actually shifted positions a few times. And the British, they were, they were under attack by a big force. And it was just a handful of guys. And then on the way, uh, on their evacuation, they shot some horses at the head of the column and halted the column and basically were sniping. You know, and it, it you know, so I had to research all these things that aren't, you know, I don't live there, so I had to, to, to find out about uh, something. I like, I like finding out about those smaller skirmishes, things, you know, we, we know big battles from our history, you know. If you're in the Southern Theater, you know of Cowpens, you know of Kings Mountain, you know of all the, but, but the little things where the militia were, were so involved, that's where I have a lot of, I won't say joy, but great joy in, in right. finding those right. things that nobody knows about. And nobody knows about, nobody, and, and there's so many of them. Yes. You know, yes. You talk about South Carolina. There, the in the 1780s, a lot of those Continental officers had come back down south and right. and, and worked within the militia system and right. and brought people back out out in that had early war experience. That's that, right. That had been in Staten Island. You know, been Long Island campaign. Had been a, a, a Brandywine. Brandywine. Yeah. yeah and and right. they had come back south and were were serving locally at right. this point. Right. Yeah. And so you see, uh, like Sumter down at Hanging Rock, um, a four-hour battle, and he said, "Well, you know." And then Camden happened in the the next week, and the, that was a big loss for the Patriots. But he said, "Had we had one Continental officer at that battle, it would have been one of the greatest battles of the American Revolution hmm. because it was a four-hour hour battle, and they they pushed the the British." through two camps and then set them up in a defensive position mm. and, and kept going on and on for four hours. Whereas by comparison, Cowpens was only a few minutes, 15, 20, you know, at, at the Very most, rapid. At the most, you Very know, rapid. Kings Mountain was only, was less than an hour, you right. know, so. Uh, I haven't really researched Kings Mountain in great depth. I did Cowpens because I, I wrote that, in, well, I, I wrote that into, uh, I think it's in my second novel uh, in, Partisans and Refugees. The name escaped me for a minute because I don't have one in front of me, uh, but wrote into that book and also uh, in Soldiers and Martyrs, my fourth book, you know, that kind of covers in that area as well. But So why, why were your, I mean, in your research and the people in, in these battles and these pension records, which is, which are fascinating to me, what have you pulled out of that as far as the reasons why they were involved in the Revolutionary War to begin with against Britain? I don't know. I struggle with that every time I look at these characters because you're thinking they're they're going up against the mightiest army in the universe, you yeah. know, at that time. And I don't know other than, you know, as I look, consider, well, my Hamilton ancestors, they were, they, they lived near what's, uh, well, near Charlotte, Charlottetown. Of course, Charlotte in 1780 was... The smaller like one. twenty cabins yeah. and a and like a little courthouse of some right. kind, you know. It was That's a right. it was a, and it was a hard scrabble place. It was there were the 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 Scotch Irish Presbyterian settlers there were a rough lot. I mean, it, it was and and I don't think they took much to being told what to do and and how to be. You know, we've all heard the stories when Cornwallis invaded when and when he came and occupied. Charlotte for what was it 18 days maybe or something mm -hmm. right before they withdrew uh, after Kings Mountain um, you know he he made that reference you know this 
place is a, yeah, a, a, a damnable hornet's nest of rebellion, you know. Right. And so uh, I don't know if it's you, you think some of it, especially for the Scots, it has to go back into their history a little bit and uh, in, in their rebellion against king and, and country. Uh, I, I just don't know. I think they probably moved to the frontier to kind of get away from being lorded over. That's it. just my perspective because right. my Hamiltons came through Pennsylvania, you know, like so many people in the Western Carolinas. They came, you know, migrated through the Shenandoah Valley, right. came down and landed, you know, in that in that area, you know, just east of the mountains mm-hmm. um, and, and found lots of land and farm country. And, and really their, their biggest difficulty were the Cherokee, you know, and, and the occasional marauding uh, band of natives that, that came through. But other than that, they were, they were kind of on their own. Was there any documents that they signed? Like the, I know they had the, uh, you know, these, these associations that formed all over uh, the colonies. Uh, and they, they would send it back to the uh, Continental Congress or the, the meeting where they had the members all go up there. Uh, did any of your ancestors sign any of those documents? Of I, have not, I have not Hadn't located anything, like, anything that. like that. Of course, there were, there were, of course, there's a lot of, there's a lot of doubt and argument over the Mecklenburg Resolves. Right, right. Um, some people, but you had the Rowan Resolves, certainly, right. and you had the Lincolnton Resolves. Uh, they had them in Elizabeth City, and I right. uh, uh, can't remember what those were called in North Carolina, sure, near, near the sure. coast. But I haven't found, I don't know that any of, of course, most of the ancestors that I have researched and encountered so far were, were painfully ordinary folk. Um, I haven't discovered any anyone of uh, any great land barons and or, sure. or people that would have a lot of chips in the game. Well, you're a parson. What was their I mean, you, and you've talked about the Scotch Irish. Do you find anything in their background where they were devout in any way, shape, or form? Well, it depends on the folk. Of course, I got a copy laying right there. Soldiers and Martyrs was uh, the fourth uh, of my novels. Uh, it's about a family by the name of Billingsley, and James Billingsley was the kind of the progenitor of my line. He uh, they came from Baltimore, Maryland to what is now Randolph County mm-hmm. in in North Carolina, mm-hmm. uh, but it was Guilford County at the time. Right, and settled in seventeen sixty four ish with his family. And uh, he, I I don't know how. I mean, they came from Maryland, which which was a largely Catholic colony, as we mm-hmm. understand history. He was a separatist Baptist, and he was known as a Baptist exhorter, which was a lay preacher. Okay. And he actually served in the Sandy Creek Baptist Church and Abbott's Creek Baptist Churches as a lay preacher. He had a a fellow who served with him named Tidence Lane, who was very well known in East Tennessee because he led a group over the mountains and, and started a church there. But he was under the... The, the tutelage, I guess you'd say, of a Reverend Shubel Stearns, who was kind of the father of Baptist life in the, in the South. Okay. And a lot of Southern Baptist history goes back to that Sandy Creek Association. And so James Billingsley was my sixth great-grandfather. Okay. And that church was very involved in the Regulator Rebellion. Sure. And it went from Which a— Which was prior to the Revolution. Prior to the Revolution— and it was a very and not uh, to be confused with the South Carolina regulator, rebellion. right? Not not to be. It totally. was very. And a lot of folks are now semi familiar with this regulator rebellion because there's been a there's been a, a greatly 
greatly twisted version of it that's been put out on Outlander, you know, uh, the popular television show, which I love. I'll watch it for costumes, if nothing else. But uh, they don't quite get into all the nooks and crannies of that rebellion. It wasn't purely, it wasn't so much against England as it was against Governor Tryon and all of his taxation principles. But this church, there were people, separatist Baptists were separatists. They were independent-minded and... um, they, they resented the taxation, and a lot of those men were involved, and in, they were in that battle at Alamance, a lot of them. They went from a 600-plus member church down to less than 20 in just a matter of months. And, and James Billingsley, never a reverend, he was just an exhorter, but, but he, he stayed and, and was trying to lead that church, and he is actually known, he's counted amongst the regulators because he wrote letters begging the governor for clemency, for, for pardons for these men that they were going to hang. Okay, so he became associated with them. So he was kind of known in that regard. And in uh, in 1776, um, of course, he had a couple of older sons that served in the first Cherokee campaign okay. in 1776. And with Rutherford? Rutherford, right. right. And um, a couple of his older sons. And there's no document now because the family Bible has been lost. This oh. is where it was all written. But in... The spring, we're guessing in April of 1776, James Billingsley was hauled out of his home in the middle of the night by Tories, and he was hanged in his front yard in Guilford County, North Carolina. Wow. And uh, a, a preacher. I mean, he's a landowner and planter, but a, but a, but a known Baptist preacher. And um, all his boys served. <laughs> there was one I can't find a record on, and I, can't, I keep thinking he must have had a physical ailment of some kind. But I'll, And I descend from one of his sons, Walter. And Walter is the star of Soldiers and Martyrs. Is I mean, right? and he is, the, he is if there's, he's my darkest character because I, I have his pension where he applied okay. for, for pension. It was denied because he couldn't prove that he ever served in an organized military unit for six months or more, even though he spent about eight months as, shall we say, a guest of the British at camp. Survived the Waxhaws Massacre, survived it, escaped into the woods at Waxhaws, went through all these all these things. I tell everyone when I talk about this book, he was in the wrong place at the wrong time, every time. Every time. He, he specialized in it. And yet you have succeeded in life. You were, you were here because I'm of I'm here because of him. Because of his sacrifice, and and to get the ultimate slap in the face when he, you know, applied for his pension sure. in his old age in East Tennessee, even after he survived Waxhaws, he'd been he he'd been captured. I don't want to give away everything because it's my favorite book. I mean, my right? wife gets mad when I tell everybody it's my favorite <laughs> book. Um, all these things that he endured and went through, and then finally. And I never really understood why, but he went over the mountains. Okay. And the next thing he shows up, he's he's an Indian spy and a scout under John Severe, and okay. he names all these people. He, na- he was kept. He wasn't released as a pre- his pension. He goes step by step of where they took me here, they took me there, they took me there, and every step of it is retracing the race to the Dan River. Is that right? Yeah. Every step. He thought when they burned the wagons, he knew everything. And then that pension committee sat there and says, yeah, no, well, you can't prove six months. You don't have a piece of paper to prove six. 
And oh, it just still goads me because there were there were people that got pensions because their cousins swore that they were in the militia for three months and stuff. You know, I mean, what it was, it's just like now it's who you know, not what you know, That's I right. guess, and, right. a lot of times. I do find it interesting that uh, that the pension records, the pension applications didn't come along until years and years after the American Revolution. When they so, well, you know, they passed those pension acts at a long enough time where there were so few men still living that's right. that that's served. Right. I mean, that, you know, so, what do you expect, right? right. I that's mean, right. that's just the, the wheels of government justice right there, you know. I mean, it, so very few. There were, there were some wounded pension acts uh, in like around 1818, but you had to have proof of, of wounds in battle and disability and those, those sorts of things. But, yeah, they're, but they're clues. You still, you know, they're great clues, but you still have to, to dig. Well, I want to get uh, go through another episode with you, if you don't mind. But before we finish up this episode, I need to ask you, what does freedom mean to you? Freedom to me means sacrifice and costliness. What do you mean? I, I know you told me about that question you were potentially going to ask me, um, and I struggled with it. And I talked to my wife about it, and I, and I fear that I've struggled with it because... I fear that I might be at a place where it seems too many people in our culture are right now where we just kind of take it for granted. We, we almost don't know what, what it is anymore. I think I understood maybe more in my youth. I mean, I put on the uniform of the country. I served. I never served in combat, uh, but I, I was in the United States Army. I, I learned how to – I was trained to, to fight and kill for my country, you know, and, 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 and but I know people who, who have served, and I know families. I, ha- I have a coworker right now who whose husband was uh was just deployed rapidly and and she and he serves in a type of military unit where she can't even know where he's gone and doesn't know when he's going to come back they have three kids and and thanksgiving he was gone and and you know and i look and that's sacrifice man and and it's freedom and, and 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 i just think that that maybe the sacrifice of it all has become so far removed for a lot of folks that we really forget how costly it truly is. Mm-hmm. I just, it, it frightens me to think how much we take it for granted. That's why I love history so much. Cause if you become a student of history, if you fall in love with history and if you want to try to learn from history, you realize how costly the gifts that we have are. Mm-hmm. How would my listeners from, uh, 30 countries, all 50 states. How, how would they find your books and be able to purchase them? Go to Amazon.com and type in Jeff, G-E-O-F-F, Baggett, B-A-G-G-E-T-T, in the search line, and I've got a, it'll light up like a pinball machine. I have an author page. I have six novels for, for, uh, for a grown-up audience, I should say. Okay. Um, I used to say not for high schoolers until I saw some of the stuff that's getting marketed to high school kids now. I'm like, yeah, they probably need to write read books because these are blood and bone. They're war books. Uh, I don't do gratuitous sex stuff in them because there's no need for it. But there are mature situations and there are violent events that occurred during that period. And I try to include those and portray them where, where it's appropriate. Uh, but yeah, they can go to Amazon and, and, and look me up and, uh, or, or find me online. Go to my website and find me. I try to refer people to Amazon because I don't like to package and mail books. But, <laughs> you know, I'll, I'll do it in a pinch uh, uh, if I have to. It's just a little costlier to sure. folks. But sure. but Amazon tends to be the best. Or look for me at an event. Uh, What's your next event? Uh, 
Let's you going see. to Savannah? I'm going to uh, Wormslow. Mm-hmm. Wormslow. Yeah, in in February. I can't remember. I think the second weekend in February, okay. maybe. So we'll be we'll be at Wormslow. I'll be doing the parsoning at that event. So I'll be doing Sunday services. I'll be dressed in black with my little tab collars on that day. And so yeah. One of my hats. Very good. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for sitting down with me, Jeff. My pleasure.